I feel like it is possible to have too many points. Yes. Uh, maybe cut the number of concordance references in half. Or, <laughs> like, I don't want to slam him. Well, that's the thing. You have, yeah, to learn, you have to learn your audience. Yeah, you have to learn your audience and know what, you know. So even like, like this morning for me was... I don't usually like doing subpoints, but I kind of needed to because it was it kind of helped make sense of it. So I normally just try to stick with simple main points and just leave it at that. Don't want to make it too complex because people get lost on is this subpoint? Is this main point? Is this so? When you got guys like this, you imagine they're not reading that; they're listening to that, and they're like, um, "Where where are we at? You know, what continent is this thing flying over right now?" Because I have no idea. So, yep, it's true. I feel like I liked reading it, but yeah, it would have been hard hearing it. Mm -hmm. But it did read really well. Yep. Like. I felt like I had two conflicting, like it felt very interesting and very boring at the same time. <laughs> okay. Like, I thought interesting the slash boring. The content was very good, very rich. There's a lot of good stuff. That's like what you would say like on a first date, you know. It was very That's interesting. But well, boring, just, so <laughs> let's just move on. We'll, we'll have a no. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff here, but it was there were times where I was reading and I'm just kind of like, well, not like falling asleep, but just kind of losing focus and where focus, he's at. And... But when I was focused, it's like there's a lot of really good mm -hmm. stuff here, and there's mm -hmm. some you know convicting stuff. This is like really good material, but I, I feel like I would get more use out of it, like. Searching for quotes out of here, mm -hmm. and re reading the whole yeah. thing, if that makes sense. Yep. But that's just. I will say the um, illustration on the bottom of 29 about the slave. Um, so, holy man will follow after the fear of God. Um, so, like, I do not mean the fear of a slave who only works because he is afraid of punishment, um, but I mean rather the fear of a child who wishes to live and move as if he were. He was always before his father's face. Mm -hmm. I liked that. Okay. I, I didn't have much highlighting at all, so I think maybe that was something that was, you know. Did you see question marks? Did you see oh, lots of question marks? Okay, that's what that's what that's my my favorite thing about him. It's lots like today, like you could tell, like this is after doing this, like this Sunday, my all of a sudden my sermon became a lot of questions because it's like, yeah, right, so I like that. It's it's good. <laughs> there was a lot of questions, a lot of you, we. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. But then there wasn't a lot of illustration. I think that's where like the balance. Just reading these others, where a little bit of the illustration, you know, lots of good content, lots of good involvement. Mm -hmm. I, I just felt like, you know, it, it showed an extreme yeah. of these where. Not very, very illustrative, but, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like that we talk about in, in, in presentation. It's um, you, you, you're building a house. And to build a house, you need to have some solid walls. And, you know, you need to have your, you know, um, your studs in. You need to have all the stuff that's kind of, you know, keep, that'll keep the structure up. And that's the kind of content, you know, it's really important. But you, you got to put some windows in there, right, so people can see. Um, but also, if you make an entire house out of windows, right, then you're it's going to collapse, right? So it's a, it's kind of that balance of like, yeah, you need some need some sunlight, you know, need some windows in there, um, illustrations to kind of give people a chance to get their breath a little bit and kind of come circle back around. If you just talk, 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 people start trailing off, mm -hmm. and then you throw the illustration there, it's like, oh, oh yeah, here we are. You know what I'm saying? Like you yeah. kind of you talk about your attention. Yes, right. That's probably why your attention kind of wandered off because mm -hmm. it was like, it's just a lot of words and it just. So there's only so much information you can take in your head until you need kind of a, a mental break, right? Which is what an illustration kind of does. It kind of just 
it, it helps you see as opposed to, to yeah. hear. Mm-hmm. Um, if a good illustration should be able to see it um, in that way. So, mm-hmm. so like we talked about this morning, like it's, it, and then we'll talk about it later in terms of presentation, like using, which by the way, Ben, can you, can you do me a favor? I just realized right now, I left all, I have my, I have all these outlines for you and I left them on my office table, like the big yep. office table outside. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so what was I saying? Oh, so like, you, you know, when you tell an illustration, like you want to try to give, you want people to see it um, as opposed to just hear it again. Cause uh, you know, so we talked about like the fountain of living water and going through the sand and the sun, you lift it up to your sun scorched lips and you lift it, you drink. Okay. I can feel, I can see that. I, you know, people start seeing that that gives them that break. It also hopefully illustrate. You don't just do illustration just to, yeah. Let me tell you about clowns for a minute. Like I mean, you, you want to do that, but you want to make the point. But you also it helps people see. Um, and if they're, if they're just here, 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 you just kind of trail off. I will say your sermon two weeks ago about how you made it personal with the bowling league. Oh yeah. yeah. Like that really like really really I it stuck with me the whole week because I was like. Did you go bowling? No. Okay. It's good. <laughs> like, it was no, but it made it so practical that like the application wasn't just like a suggestion. Like you did, you actually did it, and then not that we have to do the same thing, but it made I guess me aware that whole week. Yeah. Of don't be in just a Christian bubble. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Good. Oh, that was cool. Very good. Your thoughts on Mr. Royal? We good. All right. Well, let me, um, I wanted to finish up our class from last time. We didn't get a chance to talk a little bit about application. So I wanted to hit that uh, with us uh, for a moment. Because um, we did, uh, we talked, we, we gave an overview of it, but then we dove into, do you remember the three, what are the three points of kind of, in the essence of Bible study? Like, what are the three elements when you study? We talked about the, the diver, where he's going down, he's got tools in his hands, he digs. There's a digging portion, there's a... Observation is the first one. What's the second one? After you observe. I don't think it's yours, but it's an interpretation application. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You got it. <laughs> it's observation, interpretation, application. Right? Observation, we're observing, asking a lot of questions about the text, asking what's there, what's not there, right? All the things we looked at. Um, interpretation, uh, we're trying to uh, figure out what does it mean, right? You want to get it right is an important element. Because, um, again, you can have, uh, sadly, there's people with, tremendously good oratory skills who get it wrong. And that's not, you know, someone like a Joel Olstein, like, well, he's got, obviously got a great ability to speak. Yeah. You wouldn't have that many people listening, following you, <laughs> you couldn't speak. Um, but it sadly, a lot of times it misses the point. Um, and so you, you, want, um, you want to interpret it correctly. And then this part is our application. Uh, application is, uh, is what you got to get to um, in terms of, um, I was always told when I, when I was learning, like it was, uh, you got to take the cookie jar and put it on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach it and get a cookie out, right? So you don't want to just leave it way up high and like only a few people can get it. You got to put it down on the bottom shelf so everyone feels like, oh, okay, I got a cookie. You know, I got one. This is good. You know, even the kids, I can get a cookie in that way. So, uh, so we talk about practice of this, of, of, um, of application. It says the uh, key principle to remember is although there is only one interpretation, there can be multiple applications to a text, right? So there's not multiple meanings to a text. There's only one, as we talked about last time, but there are multiple applications. I mean, hundreds of applications. That's what makes everybody, you've, the three guys you've read, makes it feel, they all feel kind of different. It should. You know, it's not cookie cutter. This is a lot of freedom 
when it comes to kind of the application side of things. Um, it's going to depend on your context, right? You, hopefully, you know you, you know the people you're speaking to in a way that, you know, if you're speaking to, to kids or youth or teenagers, it's like, okay, my application needs to involve, you know, certain things. So, um, so you have to consider when you have a mixed audience, you got to kind of mix it up a little bit. You know, like this morning I talked about, at one point I talked about idols, but then I started talking about like, you know, like your... Um, uh, your your screen or your phone could be like I'm thinking like teenagers and going like okay that's the one thing that they're probably going to struggle with the most is the the device you know it's going to take up all their time and trying to help them see like hey idols aren't just for people with full time careers and you make your job an idol or whatever else or those who are married it's like no you can have idols too like it could be your phone kind of thing so you always got to kind of think of your audience when it comes to application uh, in doing that so. Um, the two things about the application point, and we talked a little about this last time, is there's, there's first thing you want to determine when you, once you get the meaning is going, okay, so how, does, how would this, what I'm studying, apply to the people who first read it? That's the first application I want to get to, right? How, did it, how, did they, how would they have applied this, or how are they exhorted to apply this? So once I understand that, now I can jump into my, you know, let's fast forward 2,000 years, um, and let's look at, okay, how does this apply to my audience? Right, so I mean today another good example uh, this morning. So, you know, meat offered to idols and idols in the temple, and I don't want you to partake with demons. And you're like, it, it can sound very archaic and like, how in the world does that apply to us? <laughs> right. So, um, because one of their struggles was legitimately there was temples and there was literally idols up there, false gods, and a lot of the application to them was that. No, I didn't really dive into that much this morning because. Honestly, I didn't think my context really dealt with as much. I don't think our people are struggling with physically having little idols. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that was their application. But how do I apply that to mine now? What, what are the idols in our world? So I spent a lot of time talking about our kind of idols that we would struggle with versus what they struggled with 2,000 years ago. Um, you know, if I was in L.A., where I was, I probably would have. I mean, I had some things in my notes I had to cut because there's, that's, we'll talk about this later. If you study, study a lot, you're going to cut most of your stuff out. <laughs> but I had points in there, I was like, ah, I just took some stuff out because it was too much, too much time. But I was thinking like in, in LA, I would have, I would have talked a little bit, a little bit about, um, which I, I could have if I wanted to this morning, um, you know, there's no such thing as a hyphenated Christian, meaning like you can't be a Christian Buddhist, you can't be a Christian Muslim, you can't be a, you know, just to help people, you can't just add Jesus to your other gods. Well, if in LA, that's pretty applicable because people do that. Uh, thing, I'm sure there's people in our audience that may think that too, but you can't go everywhere all the time. So that was uh, a decision I made to cut that out this morning. So anyway, but you have to apply it. How did it apply to the, the original readers? Now, how does it apply to my audience uh, in that way? All right. Um, let's see. I have uh, five warnings regarding application. Kind of just list some of these and move through these kind of quickly here. Wrong interpretation leads to invalid application. Again, Avoid the tendency to want to jump immediately to how does this apply? Or if you're prepared to teach, all right, how do I how do I illustrate this? Or how do I well, you can't illustrate what you don't know first, right? So you need to make sure you get get it right, and then we can worry about applying. This is why it's always the the last step of that. Uh, must be applied, not simply discovered. Um, this is for the person who is studying to teach. You need to apply it to yourself, right? You need to. Uh, you need to apply it to your own life in that way. Um, it, it is a, an easy tendency if you start to teach a lot to just kind of just immediately think of the audience that you're speaking to when you need to also you need to reflect on you. 
um, in that way. And as was said a second ago, like the uh, Amelia, like, you know, when you, I didn't even, that part about, I mentioned about bowling wasn't even my notes on Sunday. I just like threw it out there and the last second came to my brain. It's like, oh, well, obviously that was impactful, right? So, because that was, that was for me really, right? That was me chewing on this going like, I need to apply this myself. So, Mm -hmm. um, important part of that. Uh, must not go beyond what it says or means. Uh, that's First uh, Corinthians four six. Do not go beyond what is written. Um, that's really important because you can start your authority when speaking from the Bible goes as far as the Bible. <laughs> okay, so um, you can't um, uh, start making direct commands and requirements of people that are outside of Scripture. And you want to be careful of that. Um, you don't want to add to it or take away from it. Uh, you don't want to not say what's there, but at the same time, you don't want to add. Uh, it's just just as bad to add as it is to take away. And there's lots of warnings of that, like Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 6, Revelation 22, like don't add or take away. Kind of thing. Proverbs 30 mentions it too. So, um, so just be careful of that, especially in the application point, because some, some can get into applying a text. And you can say things like, hey, this may apply this way, right? This may be a situation where this would work. Uh, but you got to be careful of going like, you know, what God says you must do is... You know, what I'm trying to, my brain is like missing a, a misapplication. But you, you've probably heard the idea. You heard someone maybe tell you, like, this is what you have to do. And you're like, I didn't say I have to do that exactly the way you just said it, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of direct commands in scripture. There's also a lot of gray um, in terms of how it's applied. So we got to be careful that we don't coerce people into applying it the way we feel it should be applied when maybe it's not clear. Does that make, make sense? Should have an illustration for that, and my brain's not going there right now. Uh, must rightly divide the word. We've kind of hit that. Um, Holy Spirit must be at work in you. Um, and so, again, that's that part we talked about before of, um, of you're always praying before you study. You're praying as you study. You're, pray, you're praying as you, as you put it together to present it. Like, you're just always kind of digging um, in, and you're always, um, um, like I said, having a conversation with God, honestly, in that process. So, um, let's see, let's go to this with some principles of application. A few things, uh, submission to God, uh, true application will take uh, place only insofar as we have truly submitted to God and his authoritative word. Um, so kind of one of those ideas when we think about the visual of the Bible, it's like, I, you know, I'm underneath of scripture. It's not, I'm not above it. Um, and so this is my authority in that way. So I'm always submitting to God uh, in that process. Um, another one is the danger of moralism. This kind of goes back to that little bit of adding to or, or taking away from Scripture. This is probably the danger of adding to it. Uh, moralism would be, uh, fr- it's right and easy in this step, a Bible study to subtly leave behind an attitude of dependence and drift into the realm of moralism or legalism. Um, this is... Uh, um, the stuff of kind of dead religion, uh, true application occurs when we truly comprehend the principles of Scripture, carefully examine our hearts, admit our shortcomings, look to the cross, and move forward in humble dependence on God. So, um, so again, being careful of, of uh, jumping into um, kind of moralistic uh, principles that aren't in Scripture. Uh, primary and secondary application. This is, uh, in general, the primary point of the passage should furnish the primary point of application. Secondary points of application should come from a secondary points uh, within the passage. Um, so, for example, um, we'll get to First Corinthians 13 here pretty soon. 
And usually people will go to First Corinthians 13, they immediately go to, oh, it's a wedding passage or it supplies for, for marriages. And, and it, sure, it does. I mean, there definitely is application. I mean, that's a pretty broad, love is a pretty broad application you can make. But the first thing we got to do is go like, we go to First Corinthians 13, we study it. It's like the first application is like, this is, this is describing to us who Jesus is. I mean, this is, love is, this is who Christ is. He says that God is love in First John 4. So as we read those descriptions, the primary application is, I, I want to see Christ here in this passage, you know, and, and this, is, this is what love is. We see that. Now I can turn around and go, now I can also apply that to how can I practically start living this out? How can I implement what Christ has done for me in loving me and turn around and love others, right? So don't miss this with me by primary and secondary kind of applications. Um, you know, Christ is always the primary application of any given text um, in that way. All right, uh, beyond surface level, um, when presenting uh, Scripture, you, so you observed, you interpreted, uh, you're bringing the application, and this really dives into kind of the subject we had this morning in our passage in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, was that um, we need to deal with, here we go, the sin underneath the sin. Um, one of the things it's, it's really important is we get to not just stop doing this, when, you, when you're teaching, hey, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Great, it, don't murder. That's, that's very true. Uh, don't lie. It's very true. What you want to get to is you, you want to help people kind of start to see the sin, we call it this morning, the sin underneath the sin, which is idolatry. It's the, you know, why do I do what I do? Not just stop doing it. Why do I want to do it? Um, and that's an important part of that as well. I mentioned uh, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas uh, uh, Chalmers this morning that... Um, I got a quote here, it's way too long. I, I took the whole thing he did, so I'm trying to narrow it down, but I, what I read this morning. He said, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is through the expulsive power of a new one. So the only way to, to get rid of an old affection, I can't just stop it. So if your application is just knock it off, which is, you know, sometimes really important to say, you know what, you need to knock it off. <laughs> okay, that's good. But if that's where it ends, you've kind of missed the ultimate application, right? So because um, what happens is people walk away with, if that's the end of the sermon, that's all there is, then people walk out um, with, with uh, okay, it's, he's, uh, he's right, you know, I, I, I got to knock it off. I got to stop doing that. And that, that's like the pick, your up, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps type thing. And that's that moralistic tendency is, well, that's not going to last very long. That's not lasting change. Because you can't just turn desire off. Um, it, there's, like I said this morning, like we're, we are in, in, inherently religious we desire uh, satisfaction pleasure we want to find identity a foundation for our life like that's just why we're wired and that wasn't meant to be found in god and if we don't find it in god we as we talked about this morning we wander off into the desert find it somewhere else as opposed to the sea and the fountain of living water that jeremiah 2 says so if we're gonna we, we got to have a a greater desire something greater to um to satisfy ourselves so i, I heard someone I put it this way before it's like it's like you're cold and you know, and you need to warm yourself. And there's like this little, you know, barrel that's got a couple pieces of trash that are burning in it. And you're like, well, that's great. I got a little bit of warmth. And meanwhile, over here is like an entire bonfire. It's like, well, the only way I'm going to get you to go, you know, get away from the barrel because you really need it. You want to warm up. Is to show you there's a bigger fire, a much more, a lot more warmer over here, right? You can't just say, hey, stop digging in the barrel. It's like, well, my, I'm cold. <laughs> like I want, I want heat. No, no, stop, 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 get away from the barrel because look, there's a bonfire over here. It's so much greater. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're getting to Christ. That's why we're, we're getting to, to, the, to the gospel in that way because that's the, that's the solution ultimately to, to the things that we, we struggle with.
Uh, last one, uh, various realms of application. A text may have something to say regarding our desires, our words, our beliefs, our actions, our affections, or our thoughts, right? So there's lots and lots and lots of areas that uh, application can come into play. Um, and it can be um, get told to repent of a sin, obey God, live according to God's commands. Other passages can give us, are there to give us comfort or strengthen us or encourage us or build us up. And so always trying to discern those different ways um, of doing that. And then summarized, application falls into two types. First, ask whether there are any direct applications in the text itself. Are they for the first hearers only or for all time? Second, ask whether there are any principles you learn from the main points. How do they apply specifically and concretely to you? So that first part, we talked about the whole, does it apply to first hearers only? There are some of that. Now, I'm, I haven't quite dug in yet on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm, I'm getting there, um, but... I'm going to get in the whole like head covering thing, which I don't really know exactly yet what that's going to, what's going to come from that. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's not a direct application to our modern day situation. If it is, we'll be all wearing head coverings and stuff from now on. I don't know. But, um, but you know, I can tell that that was a direct application to something that was going on in Corinth. Um, I'll figure that out when I dig in there. But there are certain things in scripture that are direct applications only to the hearers or the original listeners, um, as opposed to, um, for all time, okay? You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a universal application no matter what culture or time period you live in. You know, so that kind of thing can be differentiated. Um, so here's a couple of questions to kind of ask, right? So what does it show us to praise God for? That's a good question to kind of ask. What does it show us to praise God for? What, do, what is there? Uh, what does it show us to confess? You know, is there something here in this text that I need to that I need to call people to confess to? What does it show us to aspire to or ask for? Is there something there uh, that we're asking God for? Is there an example for us to follow? Right? There's other parts of Scripture um, that are there for example to follow. Sometimes an example to not follow, right? As well, uh, is there a command for us to obey? Is there an error uh, for us to avoid? Um, is there any promise for us to claim? And the final one, is there any new thought about God himself uh, that we need to consider? Okay, so those are just some of the applications. You, you start asking these questions, you know, you'll find answers to these in the text that you're studying, right? And this will help drive some of the application as we bring that home. All right. Okay. Um, presentation. So this is what we'll spend the next, uh, this, this, the, tonight and the next two um, times together. Uh, we talked about that there is a, a science and an art, okay? There's a science and an art. The science um, of, of presenting, teaching the Bible, the science part is, the, is what we've been talking about. That's the observation, interpretation, application. That's the digging. Um, that's the, the finding the, the truths and what's there, all that information. The art is the presentation side, right? The art, uh, I told you last time, it's kind of like, again, the guy who's digging for pearls, right? He's got his scuba gear on, his tank, he's got his tools, he's down there at the oysters, popping them open, collecting all the oysters, right? Um, that's all That's all science. When he brings it up to the shoreline, brings it back to the shop, cleans it up, you know, puts them into a, you know, maybe puts them on a black velvet backdrop case or something, and it makes them really, put some lights on the case, you know, in the glass case, make them shine, and then try to sell them, well, that's the art side, right? How you present it. And the truth is the truth. The pearl's the pearl. Um, but you can present it as you just dug it out of the earth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not too attractive. Not too many people want to see it. Um, but it's still the same. You're, you're not changing it. You're altering it. You're just 
polishing it up, right? You're presenting it in a way uh, that people will go like, hey, I want to see that, right? And that's what that's what the presentation side of it, that's the art side. And in the art side, there's a lot of freedom too, right? There's a lot of freedom in the art side uh, of how things can be uh, presented in that way. So, um, and so the... Uh, uh, so we have to be careful of the danger, too, of uh, working hard on the science side of things and not focusing on the art. Um, sometimes you can really dig down, like, I just want to get it right, I want to understand it. Um, and then we don't put a lot of effort into the art side, the presentation side. And again, that's, that could be a very unfortunate thing um, because, because then no one wants to hear it, right? Um, and you can say all day long, like, well, it's their fault. They're, you know, they're not very godly. <laughs> they just don't want to hear. It's like, uh, you got to evaluate the, 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 the person talking here. You got to evaluate, am I doing a good job of investing the time into presenting uh, to them? So let's talk about some of those um, elements. Uh, the preparation. Um, we've already mentioned how prayer must be happening prior to the study of Scripture. Uh, now we move into taking the kind of the clay that we've gathered or the pearl, if you like. Uh, form it into something that's museum-worthy, right, that people can actually see. So just as we need the Spirit to open our eyes to behold Scripture, we need the Spirit to guide us to correct interpretation and understanding. So we need the Spirit to kind of guide our hands or guide our minds and how we craft this, how do we do this. So as we stand before the material, the, the raw material, the information that we've gathered, uh, we need to step back and answer some key questions of what we have studied, okay? So this is what we're going to ask these questions. Uh, first one is, uh, what is the main point? What is the main point of the text? It's a, it's a good question to answer, right? Because if you don't know what the main point is, what's trying to be communicated, I guarantee your audience is not going to know, okay, by the time you're done talking to them. Um, what is the main point, right? Again, you, the ultimate goal in any presentation, which can be, you maybe saw this in Ryle, maybe he goes a little bit off the rails a little bit on this. But ultimately, you want to you have one point. You may have a lot of points, or subpoints, but ultimately you're trying to get to one idea. Uh, you want people to leave with that uh, one idea. Um, so, what is the main point of that? Um, a lot of times, the the main point also can be found. A lot of times, in the the kind of the verbs. Again, verbs are really important because verbs move a passage along. So, you're looking for some of the main verbs in that uh, to see it in the text. Uh, number two, how do I support my findings? In other words, how do I know? this meaning is the right meaning. Just, you're just asking the question, right? You've already studied. You, you're pretty sure about where you're at now. But you, this is going back and asking, how do I support my findings? What evidence do I have to support my thesis, as it were, right? Here is what, if you're in First Corinthians, here's what Paul trying to say in this passage. And it's good, actually, to write that out in your own words, right? Just take a little paragraph and just go write it out. If you're just studying, just doing a normal Bible study, it's still good for you, too, to write that out. What did, I've read all this. What is, in synopsis form, what's the main idea, and how do I, why do I believe that's the main idea? You know, I believe the main idea is this because he says this and says this and says this, right? Um, number three, uh, what was going on in the writing of the text? Here you're making sure you understand the history and the background um, of the passage. You want to know the concerns that caused the text to be written. First Corinthians, for example, we know the you know that they have asked questions, and Paul's answering some of those questions. Uh, we can go back to Acts 18 and understand a little bit of the city and what was going on there. Uh, I can dig into some some um, some encyclopedias and you know do some online research as well to figure out what, what was Corinth like. What was it like living in the Greek culture? What did Greeks think like? Um, that's why it's it's that's why it's a lot of work um, because you gotta you first of all gotta understand what it was like for them. 
in that time period. And then you have to then present that uh, to a modern day audience that's not like that audience. And that's why that's the difficult part sometimes. But that, that's why it, it takes work to teach the Bible well. Um, because also, if you're, if, you're, if you're actually going through a text, I was having this conversation with some of the pastors. I was like, man, if you just, if you can just parachute into a text like 1 Corinthians 10 and just preach that, it's easier than trying to preach what was before and preach what comes after. Because I've got I to gotta understand why is it here and why is this brought up? Like this morning, I was like, why is communion brought up in the middle of idolatry? This is strange. Like, when I first read it, going, what is going on? Um, so it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of work uh, to figure that out. Uh, number four, what parallels do I find between the writer and readers and my intended audience? So see, now we're starting to build that bridge from back then to now. Now I'm starting to consider my audience uh, in that way. You want to know what, what you share in common, if there is anything you share in common, uh, with the writer and those to whom the text was written. You want to know the practical, what practical difference this text made to the uh, author's readers and what difference it makes to your audience. Um, this is... Some bullet points sometimes can be helpful at this point, writing some of that out. What are some parallels you know, that I see between what they experienced and what we experience today or what my audience experiences today? Um, taking those two. Number five, what is being demanded or called for uh, from this text? Again, you're looking for how your intended audience should respond to the truths of the text. Is it a call to faith? Is it a call to obedience? Is it a call to repentance? Is it a call to comfort? Um, is it a call to mission? Is it a call to, to hope in that way? This will help you bring um, help you bring in the authority of the text to bear on the audience. What is being demanded, called for? And so each, you know, again, each of these is like a you know a sentence or two, just kind of writing this out to make sure this is we're just making sure we got it right and we know where we're going. Uh, we got the right materials. Uh, what's the most effective way that I can communicate the meaning of the text? Here's where you start thinking creatively. Um, you're thinking of, uh, of what that bridge is between the ancient text and ancient people to your audience. There's a bridge there. How do I, how do I build that bridge um, in that way? You know, what's the length of the bridge? What's the width of the bridge? What's the color of the bridge? What's the support of the bridge? Right? I'm just, it can look a lot of different ways, but I want to try to bridge that gap. Um, you want your audience to understand what was going on then, but then how does that apply to us um, today? Um, and then lastly, number seven... How is Jesus the, the hero of this passage? This is answering that question, how do I get, you know, uh, Charles Spurgeon would call it, you know, every passage, you make a beeline to the cross. You know, it's like every, every passage is going to get there. Um, so so how, do, how does this show that Jesus is the hero of that story, right? Is there a, um, is there a character that you can see Christ illustrated? And is the, is the failure of, of a character point to the, you know, the solution that's found in Christ? Is there a command that drives me, you know, to, to Christ who fulfilled the commands for us, right? I'm, I'm always trying to drive to how does this point, point us to Christ in that way. Okay? Any questions on that? So this is all the questions you're kind of asking just to make sure you've got the right information, you've got the right building materials. We're going to build a house here. We need to need to have the right materials in our hands and make sure we got them. So it's just kind of a checklist, as it were. All right, the manuscript. I'm a stickler on this one. This is not, this is one of those I'm not going to go beyond what's written until you have to do this. But let me uh, kind of advocate for um, manuscript. When I say manuscript, what I mean by that is that um, I think it's helpful to those who teach to have a manuscript. What I mean is, is write out what you're going to say. Um, it doesn't mean you have to take that with you and read it necessarily, but uh, I'm going to give you some arguments here in a minute why I think it's super helpful 
to actually write out the things that you're going to, to say. Um, and it's, it's super helpful. Um, I've always done it. I've done it for the last 25 years. So uh, reasons. Let's talk about some of the reasons for that. Uh, I think the first one uh, is just clarity. Write yourself clear. I mean, I, I write... So I, I got all my information. I got this document. You know, it's probably about 25, 30 pages, or whatever. And then I've got to, I got to take that, and I got to boil that down to about 10 to present in the sermon. So as I'm writing this 10, 10, 11 pages, 12 pages, sometimes material, I'm, I'm just when I'm done writing it, I go back, I read it, I re-edit it again. I go back, I read it, edit some more. Like I'm just, is this, is this clear? Is this one point to the next point make sense? You know. Um, and so again, if I write myself clear. If it's not clear to me, it's definitely not going to be clear to those who are trying to hear me, right? Because I, I at least I've, I've had time in the text. I've had time to study it and look at it and ask a lot of questions. So I'm taking for granted sometimes that it may be clear to me in my head. I understand, but it, my presentation is not clear. Mm-hmm. And so I want to write myself clear in that way. Again, it's a, it's a good practice even if you don't bring a full manuscript into your, into your lesson. Um, so... Um, yeah, especially especially with difficult passages or truths, it's it's good to have that. It's good practice. Even to, I, I read it out loud. I, I read when I finish writing, I'm I'm read the whole thing out loud in that way. When I was when I was young, when I was younger, I used to give it to my wife. Be like, here, you read it. Tell me if it makes sense. Um, so that was helpful uh, when I was younger, trying to figure out get an audience to help me in that way. I know um, Pastor Justin does like a lot of times. He'll have he grabs like about five or six seven people from the congregation he practice preaches to them <laughs> and so he'll bring them up to the youth room and be like show up on thursday i'm gonna preach this and you tell me does it make sense or not right so i did that kind of thing uh, when i when i was younger in that way it is helpful uh second reason to do it is just future notes i got a collection of 25 years of of messages that that like are written out uh, word for word um and so it's uh it's helpful to then draw on that so the more you teach in some ways, it gets easier because you can draw on things. Like this morning, you talk about idolatry. It's like, yeah, I've taught Jeremiah 2 before. Um, you know, I've taught this other passage that dealt with that. I can kind of go through those notes and be like, oh, yeah, I had this illustration there. And um, I remember using that. I wrote an article, you know, before on idolatry. So I pulled, pulled that out of there. Um, so future notes, it's, it's super helpful. Helps reduce time. Um, I felt early on, early on when I was preparing and studying to, to teach, you know, Honestly, it probably was somewhere between, it sounds crazy maybe, but it was like 30 to 40 hours a week it would take me to, just for one sermon. <laughs> so now it's like 15. Um, it's not nearly as much as it used to be, um, but, uh, but that's only because I've been doing it a while, but also this part. I mean, I've got notes. I've got notes I can pull from that kind of helps me in that way. Yeah. It's a little bit like programming. So like whenever I first started programming. He's our IT guy, by the way. So there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> like, you know, like. 40 hours to write a program, but now I go back and I see, oh, I use this piece here, I use this piece here, and mm-hmm. you can plug them, you can mm-hmm. plug them in and it less, less little shortcuts like that. Yeah, and I find especially for the, we'll talk about later, like the introductions um, are helpful. Um, I'll, I'll remember, you know, oh, I had this il- illustration, I started off, like this morning I talked about factory, my parents working, um, you know, making machinery, made glass, I'm like, yeah, that came from an article I wrote, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. Um, on idolatry, and I remember that. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that, and pulled that out, and boom, there it is. You know, so I rewrite it and do some different things with it, but I at least have have material to build on. Um, so the more you do it, the, if you keep your notes, the easier it is. And digitally, it's really helpful to do that. When I was first teaching, didn't I mean I have iPads I use now, but I mean then I had I mean 
Well, first of all, I used to write it out literally <laughs> with fountain pens because I used to really be into fountain pens for some reason. <laughs> and uh, I would write them out with fountain pen, like the whole thing. This is what you do when you graduate seminary. You're like, oh, I'm going to write it with fountain pens like John Calvin did. And, um, you know, so you're writing them. And so I'd write them out. And then I was like, okay, this is dumb. I can't read my own writing because my handwriting is bad. Um, I was like, I'll never be able to read this in the future. So I'm going to start typing it out. So I'd type it and then print it and have it in a little folder. So I had printed paper for a long time. And, and you know, probably about 10 years ago, maybe switched to like all digital. So now I've got an iPads I, I bring with me. Um, it's yet to, yet to die on me, but that's always my fear is that it's going to die on me one day. Right in the middle, I'll be like, oh, it's dead. All right, it's shoot from the hip now. Um, so, um, so anyway, but the future notes aspect is, is super helpful uh, because it's all digi digitized now. I can just go in and just type in some keywords in my search and then boom, up pops. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I know I remember, my, I can remember quotes and parts of quotes and I can remember, you know, this passage or verse. I'm going, oh yeah, I've, I've done something with that before. I'll type it in and boom, you know, it all shows up. It's really helpful. Uh, third, uh, protection. Uh, there'll be times that, um, that you'll teach, uh, you won't, you'll be studying, you'll feel great. And then you go to teach and you're like, you got sick, but you got to do it anyway. And you're like, you're not totally, your head's foggy. You know, you get sick in your head. You're just not thinking clear. Uh, and you're, you're like, man, I put all this work in, and now I'm going to teach. I didn't write anything down. I didn't write, you know, didn't manuscript it out. So now I'm just going to have to try to shoot from the hip in a way. Um, and my mind's not very clear in terms of because I got sick or you feel scattered, uh, different reasons. Uh, there are other times that, uh, honestly, like when I had little kids, you know, chaos happens at home. Um, kids get sick, you know, the kind of stuff. Um, you know, you're it's just all kinds of stuff that goes on in life that just kind of throws off the plan. Um, there were one time I was, I had, I had, uh, this is in Hollywood. I was, I was, I got up to teach. I literally just got up, walked up front. And then one of my, one of my pastors, one of the pastors came up and he kind of you know, walked on stage and whispered in my ear, you know, it was like, something's definitely not, not wrong here. Something's wrong here. And he's, you know, he tells me that one of our guys had just died, um, actually committed suicide. And so, um, and my people, in my congregation saw him, he's out front of his apartment, you know, he's on Hollywood Boulevard, like the police are there, they don't know what to do. So I'm like, okay, I gotta go, I gotta go take care of this. Um, so literally I had, I was like, Sean was his name. I said, Sean, here it is. You got it right here. Just read it, you know, cause it's, it's putting him on the spot too. Like, what am I going to do now? I got a whole, I got 250 people staring at me. What do I do? I'm like, just read it. Um, and he did. He just read the sermon kind of thing. Um, you know, so I mean, it was helpful to have it in that case too, just, um, just to protect and make sure we you know, have somebody to be able to do that. So um, can be helpful. Uh, let's see. Uh, spirit. What I mean by this is that, uh, is that this is kind of one of the misnomers. Sometimes people go like, well, if I write it out and, you know, it's like, you know, you're kind of losing the side of the, the, you know, the organic side of the spirit of God, like really just kind of just zapping you with like special insights as you're up there teaching. It's like the spirit hopefully is zapping you while you're studying. <laughs> so, I mean, like you're, it's not stifling the work of the Spirit to write it out. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've had friends who've done that and be like, I don't write it out, I just want to you know, just study all the material and then get up there and just see what comes out. It's like, eh, you're not Spurgeon, buddy. Like, some people can do that, but that's a, that's a rare gift uh, in that way. So don't discard the work of the Spirit in, uh, in, in study. Uh, words. This is, this is a really important part, too. Uh, Mark Twain once said, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug, right? <laughs> between lightning and a lightning bug. Um, you know, what if uh, John Owen wrote a book? Uh, he wrote a, he wrote a, um, a kind of a title of a, of a sermon 
called Be Killing Sin or Sin Will Be Killing You. Whoa, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty captivating kind of way of saying it. You know, we could have said, you know, rid your life of sin because it's important for Christian growth. Same, okay, it's the same truth, but man, be killing sin or really be killing you is like, okay, that's, that's alarming. Like, okay, I get what you're saying, but that, that piques my interest there. That's, that's a pretty intense way of saying it. Um, again, both sentences communicate the same truth, uh, but the second sentence uh, is said so well that it leaves a lasting impression um, on the heart. And so this is where I find myself, honestly, I'm probably, you know, thesaurus.com is like one of my favorite spots. I go to multiple times any given sermon, I'm, I'm there. Because what I'm doing is I'm going through and reading. I see some, I wrote out some stuff, and I'm like, ah, that word's kind of, you know, there's got to be a better word than this one that would be more uh, picturesque, more graphic, more uh, captivating than using this plain word. Or what I also do sometimes is if I feel like I'm redundant or if I feel like I'm using the same word over and over again, I can, the nice thing about a computer, I can just search and see how many times it pops up, and I'm like, oh, you know, I used that word 25 times. <laughs> I gotta find a better word. I gotta find a different one, you know. And so I'll go in and kind of remake it, uh, change it uh, in that way. So, but but if I'm writing it out, I can see those things. I can't can't see that if I don't write them out. So, um, I, I just I find the source is super super helpful. Uh, balance and shape. Here's another reason to write everything out. A manuscript helps a teacher with transitions, um, as it clearly balances time for each point. On, in general, it's not always the case. Um, if it's not the case, I usually explain, like this morning I even said, hey, the first point, we're going to be here for a little bit, a little bit longer than the others. Um, yeah, I got to the third one, I'm like, this is going to be short, because I wanted people to know we're almost done. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're like, man, he's on third point, it's already like a long time. Um, but in general, you want, you want balance in a, in a message. You want balance, you want your points um, to have the same amount of kind of material, uh, each one kind of balance out, so you don't have like, point one is... You know, if, you're, if it's 10 pages long and you're like, point one is nine pages, point two is a, is a half a page, and point three is a quarter of a page. You're like, well, that's a really, really imbalanced in that way. And so try to keep it balanced if you can. When you write out, you can see that. I, mean, I literally would go through, and I'll scroll through the 12 pages, and I can look and see, like, okay, this point has two and a half pages. That's about right. This has got two and a half. Okay, this one's got a half a page. Okay, i gotta, I got to beef this one up. If I beef it up and I have too much, i got to go back and cut some stuff out, right? So it's just trying to give a little bit of balance um, in your points. Um, so, um, let's see. Uh, punctuality. This is helpful. Again, I know now that based on the, the, the speed of which I talk, which is fairly fast, um, I did tell. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, this morning, we, we, have, uh, we have a sign interpreter. And, uh, and bless her heart, she, she, I work her overtime. Cause it's, <laughs> um, but I do send her the manuscript ahead of time. Like she gets it so she can read it, so she's familiar with what I'm going to say, because I stick pretty close to it. Sometimes I get off target a little bit. But, um, but in general, she's that. But, yeah, I always, she always told me, like, please don't drink coffee. So she told me. <laughs> so I told her this morning, cause she says, half the time, I got I to go home and take a shower after church. Like, I'm, like, literally, like, <sighs> you know. So I told her this morning, I was like, you know, I, had, I opened my Starbucks app this morning about 7 a.m. and I had a free, had stars, I had 150 stars, which means I get a free coffee of whatever I want. So I went to Starbucks this morning, I got a venti, and she goes, you didn't get espresso, did you? I'm like, yeah, I got an extra shot of espresso too. So it was like four shots of espresso. Oh my word. So I, that's why I apologized to her this morning before I even began. Anyway, all that to say, punctuality is, um, I know based on having done this a lot, I know that my 
message needs to be around 11 pages. For 45 minutes, it's 11 pages for me. Um, I go a little bit over that, a little bit under that's okay, but right about 11 is perfect for me. And, that, and I know when writing, so I know if I write, because usually when I write the first draft of a sermon, I'm usually about 16 to 18 pages long. And, I, and it's like the worst. It's like, it's like um, pulling skin off the bone. You know, you got to go back and like, oh, I got to take all this out. <laughs> so you're going, you're going in, you're like, all right, I got to get this down to 11. I mean, this is, they're not going to listen to me for an hour and a half, right? I've got to get this down uh, to my audience. And so I'm just cut, 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 cut. Um, until I get to that magical number for me, because that's my allotted time period. So my people know who I'm teaching. They know, okay, we know how long generally this is going to take. Right? We know it's going to take 40 to 50, somewhere in that time range. Um, occasionally an hour if it gets crazy. But, you know, it's like we're trying to stick with that frame. I'm trying to honor their, their commitment to me because they've come, they've showed up. They have a certain expectation of me of how long I'm going to go. So I don't want to take advantage of that. I want to stretch it out too long. If I do have to go a little bit longer, I'll usually say like, hey, you know, this morning's going to be it's gonna be a little bit longer than normal. Just hang in there with me. I promise you it'll be worth it. You know, kind of thing like you. But writing it out helps me see I know how many pages I need uh, in order to, to make it in that kind of time frame. What are you cutting out when, like, are you cutting out passages, references, stories? All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I'm usually doing with that is I'm cutting out, um, I'm looking for balance first. It's the first thing I'm looking for. So... A lot of times what I'll find my most cut comes from like introduction. Okay. I won't talk about what introductions and how to do those a little bit, probably next week. But, um, you know, as we're looking at um, the flow of it, I can look and go like, yeah, I got four page introduction. That's way too long. You know, um, it's just way too much information to start before we even get it. You know, because if I do four pages, that means about five minutes a page. That's 20 minutes. If I'm doing 20 minutes on introduction and I go, okay, now. Let's start with point one, and I'm already 20 minutes in. People are like, what is happening, right? So, so I, that's usually when I try to cut down um, and work, work hard to do that um, on that. I'm looking for balance in the points. So usually if I'm cutting, I'm going back going like, yeah, that point had five pages. These two have two pages. Okay. I need to cut that one probably down to two as well. Okay. Um, and when I'm cutting, I don't want to cut out as much as possible. I don't want to cut out the illustration. Usually the balance, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but, um, but you usually want to balance them out with like, you want to go, here's the meaning, let me illustrate that meaning, and let me apply that, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, here's the meaning, here's the illustration to help you see it, and here's how it applies. Um, and that's kind of each point. I'm trying to bring that, that kind of thing uh, to the table. So I don't want to cut any of those pieces out. I want to make sure I explain it clearly. Yeah. But like I said, you know, this, this one this morning, I, I cut out some things I, I very, very well were were accurate and good and true and I was just like well it's a little bit too long considering my context going like eh, I'll take out the hyphenated Christian statement um, I had like two paragraphs on that stuff and I was gonna talk about that for a little bit but I'm like yeah I feel like that kind of takes me off subject a little bit and um, so that's what I'm looking for too because okay. usually hopefully out of the say 18 pages or so hopefully all of it's true <laughs> but in certain thing it wasn't true so usually I'm not cutting out false stuff hopefully but um <laughs> But I'm usually just trying to go, okay, well, this is just fluff. You know, this is just extra that is uh, not necessary. Okay. Um, you know, and, and especially, again, balance-wise is what I'm looking for. If I've got one point that's just way too big, too many, too much information, I need to cut that down. So, because points have, a, you know, major points have a way of, like, helping people reset. Right? It helps them. If I go, point one is this, and blah, 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 blah. Now, let's move to point two. Okay. All right. Point two. It's like almost a mental reset. Mm -hmm. If it's just like point one and you're like 
30 minutes later, you're still in it. It's like people are kind of lose. You're probably going to lose people. You got to be yeah. pretty captivating to hold somebody that long for one point. Um, there's probably can't, it's hard to see that much of one little thing, but, um, but anyway, so yeah. it's kind of some of the things. Like this last, uh, sermon that we read yes he did divide it into points mm -hmm. but there's some people i noticed they don't right they just i mean they have points mm -hmm. but they don't identify them would mm -hmm. it be better to identify them for the yeah we'll talk about outlining in a little bit but i would say um there are i think it's good to identify them for our audience not only say our audience because it's a western society we do think in that our, our brains typically think in that kind of way um you know we we outline kind of makes sense to us if i'm in the eastern culture not as much um but there are times where i don't also would look at it and go like sometimes i've uh, i remember teaching gospel of john and i was talking about the um the uh, I think it was the one where it was Jesus before Pilate, and I, f I felt that as I went through there, I, my outline I felt broke up the story in ways that just so I didn't I, I didn't have any points like I just told the story, mm -hmm. and I just had ending was like here's three application points, mm -hmm. right so I had points but they were at the very end I'm just and I told everybody like hey I'm just going to tell the story so just hang with I'm just going to retell the story in the text as you see it hear it feel it. And then we'll bring some application at the end. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll, I'll shift it up like that. I don't always go like, okay, today we're going to look at point one, two, and three, and you know, here they are, and here we go. Mm -hmm. That's my normal routine, but um, but it is helpful sometimes, especially if it's a narrative and it's a story. It may be good just to tell the story and then bring some application at the end. That's appropriate too. All right, um, let's add one more here. Accuracy. Uh, again, the most important job you have is making sure you get it right. <laughs> okay, make sure you get it right. This is not uh, casual. This is presenting the Word of God to people. So we want to make sure that we're accurate. And writing it out helps you do that. Uh, if you're going to teach the Scriptures from a historical perspective, if you're going to be able to understand meaning, if you're going to uh, communicate that, then you're going to have a lot of words you're going to have to say. Right? That's what makes teaching this way a longer thing, because I've got to take some time to go, okay, here's the text. Here's where we are in this book. Here's who's writing it. Here's who he's writing to. Here's where what's going on in their life. Okay, now let's talk about, you know, so I've, you got to spend a lot of time building up to get people to where, okay, I see where they're at. I see what they're doing. Now, how, what does this mean for my life kind of thing? Um, it's just going to take a lot of words. And so writing uh, can help that. Okay. Any questions on manuscripts? All right. Uh, number three, reading. Scriptures are meant to be read. Uh, and scripture reading is a specific charge. Uh, we find that 1 Timothy 4, 13 says, Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Don't, under, don't, don't underestimate the power of just reading it. Don't take it lightly. All right, it's an important. We do it Sunday here. We have everybody stand up. We have someone say, hey, this is the read of God's word. You read it, and you say, this was the read of God's word, and then we have a seat. Like It's, just, it's the only time in your whole lesson, whether you read or someone else reads it, um, that people are literally hearing the unadulterated, unfiltered word, words of God. I mean, literally, they're, just, they're hearing his word without any comment, without any extra words thrown in there. It's, it's just his word. So that's a really important feature of just learning how to read, uh, read it in a way that, um, that is that way. So 
Um, I think, do I have in your notes? I put down like Nehemiah passages. Yeah, so you can see those. That's kind of some of that stuff we do. We talk about standing and reading and all that. That all kind of comes from the passages here in Nehemiah. Uh, you see 9-3 where they stood in their place and read for a quarter of the day. How about that one? Four hours? Oh, no, what is that? What's a quarter of a day? 24 divided by 4 is 6. Six hours. There we go. It's getting there. Um, six hours um, in that way. So they stood up for six straight hours and read. So it's a long time. Um, but again, just the power of just reading God's word is going to be important. So let's talk about uh, principles of reading. Uh, what are some ways? Uh, how do we read this? Uh, first thing I say is read with weightiness. Uh, the way we read the Bible communicates how we view the Bible. Right? If it's like, hey, whatever, here it is. Like we're communicating like it's a joke, right? So we want to, I mean, I would say like we'll talk about humor and humor is an important element to teaching. But when I'm reading the scripture, I'm not, it's not a joke. Right? So I'm like, I want to make sure I communicate what I believe about it in how we read it um, in that way. Uh, the second one, read with preparation. Uh, again, just reading it. Study the words. Study correct uh, pronunciation. Uh, remember, every single word carries weight. It's inspired by God. It's profitable. Uh, be familiar with it. Read it over and over again. It's important just to just almost memorize the passage that you're doing. Just keep reading it in a way that just sticks in your brain. Um, this is some of that part where you kind of prepare. Also helps you like going, okay, that that's a weird word. Maybe you know, I'm reading some guy's name and I don't know how to say it. You know, I've I've been on. I don't even know, I just Google, like, YouTube has a, you know, pronunciation, you know, sometimes I'll type it in and be like, how do you say this word? It's like, pff, pops a video of, like, here's how you say this word. Usually, how you say it in Britain and how you say it in America, because those are different, yeah. actually. Um, but, um, but anyway, just preparing helps me go, like, I want to make sure I pronounce these words correctly um, and what is there. I read with emphasis. I determine ahead of time what will be emphasized. Uh, based on your main points, your outline, you want to help the audience take note of key parts of the passage. So if there's a re repeated word in your passage, as you read it, you kind of maybe pause a little bit at that word, maybe emphasize that word a little bit more, maybe a little bit louder at that word. Um, if there's just things that you want them to kind of, even even before you start talking, they, because the, um, one of the things that if you work with people, uh, what you find is that people love, people love to come up with the idea themselves in some ways, right? If you work with people, like you're much better instead of like top down being like, here's what we're doing. Okay. But if they're all like, Hey, I think this will be a good idea. And you're like, you're right. That would be a good idea. <laughs> right. And now they're like, well, this, we love this. This is great. So in reading, if you kind of start emphasizing parts of it, you get some words that repeated places, you know, you're going to go. They don't know it yet. It's a little bit of a secret, right? But they start, as you read it, they go like, Oh, I see that word. Oh yeah, I can see he repeated that. That's been that's repeated a few times because of the way you emphasized it. Mm -hmm. They've automatically picked up on a key part of the passage in reading, and they're like, "We discovered it." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you kind of you almost fed it to them, but without feeding it to them, they discovered it. And as a way of like of, of uh, people get excited about noticing things on their own, right? Kind of thing. So even just reading, uh, emphasizing parts, going slowly at parts, maybe pausing at parts, um, helps do that as well. Uh, read with pace. Um, this is something I have to always, when I first started, I remember uh, I was in Mobile when I first started like preaching to like bigger audiences and um, I used to do like youth group and stuff like that before, but this was like, you know, I don't know, four, five, six hundred people. So I got kind of see what we have here. And I was, um, and I was young and I was, and I think I talk fast now. It was, it was bad. Um, and so Aunt Eunice, that's what I called her, Aunt Eunice, she was like 85. She sat in the front row 
and uh, she was always my guide because she would look at me and she kind of start tilting her head like this, which meant I can't understand you. You're going way too fast. So I would have like little sticky notes that put all over the pulpit and be like, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, you know, <laughs> kind of remind myself to take a breath. It's okay. Slow down. Um, I still have to do that today in my mid forties. Same thing. Um, read with expression. It's our fifth one. Bring out the emotion, tone, emphasis with appropriate, again, volume, passion, pitch, pace. Uh, utilize the pause. Pause is an important feature of just reading and just kind of let it sit for a second and then read the next part, right? Just when you pause, that automatically, it, it, the hearer immediately goes, oh, what did he just say? What was read there? What was that part? Um, and it just has a way of emphasizing that part, right? Just having a, a pause. Um, you know, if you're reading something and it's a narrative passage and they, somebody starts talking. I'm not saying you have to like change voices. That may be kind of weird to do that, you know, start, start talking someone, you know, else is a, you go British to like South American, you know, South African or whatever. But, um, but you know, it is, it is like you're reading someone else like, and he said this and you kind of maybe pick up the pace a little bit or you speak a little bit louder, right? It's just kind of, you see quotes, read it a little differently. Uh, read with honor. This is that part we talked about, just the standing part of it. Uh, we, we like to do that here uh, as a way of just um, expressing the honor of, the, of, of God's word. So, All right. Now, let's dig into some of the pieces. Uh, the introduction. So you're looking at... What I've got? Let's see. I'm going to give you a big picture here for a second. So you have like... I'll put intro at the start... Some, we're going to go over these different pieces just so you know. So if you don't know what they mean, um, uh, I'm going to go uh, propositional statement. Um, then we go into that. We're going to outline, and then through that, we're going to we're going to end with you know your kind of conclusion. Con there we go. So there's kind of the main pieces. Um, underneath an outline is going to be, you know, you're going to have your, your main points. As I said here, you're going to have a, each one of them, you're going to have a, a meaning, an illustration, and then an application. Hopefully each one of the points that comes out, you know, out of here. So there's some sub pieces to that. But, um, but that's kind of what we're looking at. So the introduction is the beginning, obviously. Conclusion's at the end. Uh, usually when I'm studying, I'm, uh, I don't come up with the, illustrate, with the uh, intro and conclusion. When I first started, I'm kind of working on the body, the outline of a, of a message. Uh, but the, the introduction sometimes will come to me. I'll, I'll, I'll usually in my notes, I can show you, like I have, I probably had like this, even this morning, I think I probably had six different ways I was going to introduce. Like I had just a big, huge section of introduction and here's six ways I could do it. <laughs> so try to conclude, okay, God, which one of these is the most effective, which is the best way to open up this. Um, and so, uh, so a lot of times you'll have a lot of them as you kind of work through, through that. So introduction um, is crucial as your audience will be captured. You capture their attention or you'll lose them immediately, right? So intro is pretty important. It's not the, it's not the heart of the message. But you're trying to ultimately you're trying to you're trying to capture attention, uh, and honestly, hearers, you know, some of them are like you got five minutes. I'll give you five minutes to to, to help me realize that I actually need to hear you, mm -hmm. honestly. And some are like, okay, it's nap time this morning. Right? So it's, 
I don't understand what he's talking about, or it's not that's not very interesting. You know, we'll go to sleep. Um, so you, you, that's why introduction is important. You want to capture their attention um, in that way, otherwise you'll lose them pretty fast. Uh, this makes the introduction one of the most important elements of a message. Uh, even if the primary content is not in the introduction, uh, the desire uh, to listen to what you have to say is won or lost in the opening moments. Uh, you want to capture their attention and pique interest. In order to do so, you need to spend some time on the introduction. Okay? Again, intro is a lot of fun, too. It's, again, a lot of freedom. How do you introduce this? You know, let's look at some of the, some of the pieces. Uh, principles for preparing for introduction. Here we go. Capture uh, the imagination. Tell stories with imagery. Tell stories with uh, vivid descriptions. This is where those, when I talk about you know, writing it out, manuscripting, use some words that are strong, like some words that they can see. It was the best way to do it. There was old um, Thomas Watson was a uh, Puritan and he actually wrote a little book called, you know, uh, Teaching with Word Pictures. You know, it sounds like a kid's book. <laughs> but it's like, he was just talking about just using your words to help people see uh, something. Uh, again, if not, they, uh, if they can, if, if, if they can not only see the story, but feel the story, then you've captured their attention, right? If you give them to feel it and see it. Um, so in this one, you, you capture the imagination. Sometimes it's like, well, I'm gonna tell a story, um, you know, about a, a war story. But I'm gonna tell about someone who was who was um, who was wounded as a soldier. Right? You're gonna kind of tell that part. You're gonna tell the graphic nature of, you know, depending on your audience. Obviously, you probably want to do that with little five year olds. But um, you know, his leg was blown off. His guts were hanging out. Um, you know, understand your audience. But you want to kind of use language like that. That you know, it's gonna be graphic in a way that they can see it and not just the guy died. It's like, okay, um, how did he die? Um, help him see what was going on there. Uh, stir personal feelings. Importance needs to be shown to each uh, listener that this message applies directly to each person. Uh, likewise, uh, the biblical text may call for the teacher to make application to a larger context. And so you want to stir personal feelings, make sure each person feels like, yeah, I want to I hear this. Um, and so intro needs to be broad enough to where everyone feels like, okay, I, I see where this is going. I see where this is, this is good for me to hear, right? Um, you want to make that introduction broad enough where people, everyone's brought in and not just a particular, you know, slice of the, of the group. Uh, instigate wonder and awe. You can do this through, again, story. Um, sometimes you can use pictures is okay. You know, a video is okay. There are times where I can't remember what, I think it was in Hebrews, but it was like a, um, I introduced with like a picture of the Titanic that was sunk. And it was a little video of them seeing, you know, they found the Titanic on the bottom floor and the video was that while I was talking was going in the background and it was, you know, showing the Titanic. And I don't even remember why I did that, to be honest with you. I don't know. But, um, but there was a reason I had it. It was in the intro because um, I was trying to, you know, I can use, you can use video. I would say don't, um, don't become overly dependent on videos and pictures. Um, all the time. Sometimes to do that all the time is in some ways to, um, it's almost like an insult sometimes to your audience. You're like, I can think, <laughs> you know, like I can, I can, I can put it, I have an image. I can, if you just tell me the right words, I can picture what you're saying. I don't need a picture. I'm not five. Um, but sometimes it's really helpful right in that way. So, um, it is a helpful thing. Uh, appeal to the past is another way you can do an introduction. Talk about the past. In that way, involve uh, involve appreciation of the past is especially good for older parts of your audience. Um, telling an old historical event that maybe took place, or telling an old 
sporting event that took place or something that they can remember. Um, you're just kind of going back. Again, when you're telling those kind of stories, you're always trying to remember you want everybody to be able to understand it. So if you are talking about an older story, you know, bring your, your maybe younger audience along with that. Explain it in a way that they would understand it. Um, you always have to be cognizant now of going like, okay, I got teenagers who've never been without an internet before. Okay, I always remember, I can't, I gotta go back before internet. And when, if I ever go back to stories before then, I need to explain like, here's what it was like before you had internet. <laughs> yeah, so, because um, the older ones can be like, oh yeah, I know that. The younger one won't, right? So, and same with the other way around, right? I could talk about something very modern. Um, and, you know, I may, sometimes I've opened up with a, you know, a part of a book or a, um, a lyrics from a song or a film, right? And, and that's okay. I mean, my younger audience typically will catch those a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I've got to make sure to build that up in a way if they haven't heard it or haven't seen it, that they can at least understand what's going on in the story, right? So again, I want to have everybody on board even if they aren't quite sure about what happened there or, when, or if it's older or younger for them. Um, another way of uh, introduction is stir anxiety of the future. Anxiety of the future. Sometimes explain how things could be or will be in the future can stir proper kind of fear in a way. Promote your hearers to want hope. Like, man, if this is where it's going, you know, mm-hmm. if this is where culture's going or this is where, um, you know, we talked about recently like, hey, over in England, you know, we're about 50 years behind culturally mm-hmm. when, we, when we think of Christianity. You know, and here's what's happened over in Europe in the last 50 years. And here's where Christianity has gone downhill. Like, we're heading that direction as a culture. It's not, it's not too far of a, a jump to realize that. Uh, in light of that, well, what do we do, right? So I'm trying to create a little bit of anxiety, and, I'm like, and I want to answer it, right? And that's the point of the sermon, maybe, is I'm going to answer this. I'm going to help solve this fear that you have, or at least give you some tools to help you with this, uh, this kind of fear. Um, Awaken uh, indignation. This could be a, again, you, this is all different ways to do an introduction. You just got to vary it. You can't do the same thing every time you teach because you'll wear people out. Um, this one especially, awaken kind of indignation. This is involving telling a story that just kind of makes people upset. Like, oh, I can't believe they did that. You know, I think I was teaching on um, the product, not the prodigal. Um, who was I teaching? What was it? What story was I teaching? Maybe it was the prodigal. I don't remember now, but I do remember. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. It was a good Samaritan. That's what it was. Sorry, I should write these things down. See, when I don't manuscript, that's what happens. Um, so it was a good Samaritan. And I remember illustrating it by starting off telling a story of, you know, and it was this was some years ago. So it just happened in New York City, and they had a video camera, and they showed a guy walking along. He gets mugged, gets beat up, you know, left for dead, and just it shows person after person just walking by. And no one helps him, just keeps walking. You know, kids walk by, they look at him. You know, one guy walks in, takes his wallet, you know, and steals from him. Like, so I told that, and it, that's exactly what I wanted, right? The audience, that kind of response. I want people to go like, wow, how could people do that? And then I get into the Good Samaritan story, but like, that's what happened to him, right? So it, was, it rose indignation in people. I wanted people to get a little upset about that. Um, and I wanted to help show how in the story of what we were looking at today, actually, how that's, that's not something that's modern. It happened a long time ago. Um, and bridge that gap in that way, right? So... But you don't want to make people mad every time you start teaching, right? <laughs> All right, time for it. I'll make you angry before we start off this morning. You guys ready? It's every Sunday diet. Um, so you kind of want to... That's what Nathan did with David. Nathan did that with David, exactly, with the lamb. That's exactly what he did, right? He told a story in a way that made him... How could he ever do that? And be like, you're the man, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, uh, number seven, prompt 
um, compassion. Uh, this is uh, pulling on the, the heartstrings by telling a story of someone. Maybe it's down and out. You want them to kind of feel a little empathy or feel sorry um, for that. In the sermon, you can show how, how um, they can make a difference in someone's life like this. Or here's somebody, here's their story, here's, here's how hard it was. And maybe the, the point of the sermon is more compassion or serving, uh, serving our community or helping those who are, you know, who are marginalized. So I want to tell a story at the beginning of someone who had really hard and maybe someone came along and met a need. And that was kind of the introduction. People went, oh, I want to be that. I want to be that person. Well, let's talk about how you can be that person, right? So <laughs> let's talk about how Jesus was that person for us and how we can be that person. So it, that introduction can serve that as well. So those are all different ways. I'm sure there's lots more, uh, but those are the categories that kind of came to my mind to think of um, the different, uh, different ones. Now, uh, along with that, uh, different kinds of introductions. Um, here's just kind of very specific, some things. Um, human interest account. Uh, this is a lot of times thinking of like news stories. People love to hear stories. Um, you tell them a news story, maybe tell them a personal story about your own life. Like this morning I kind of opened up with, this was kind of more of my intro this morning, human interest. Um, here's what it's like for me as a kid and seeing this factory and seeing these bottles drop, you know, drop down like fireballs and seeing them, do, you know, I was telling the story through my eyes of what I saw mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, the one thing you want to be careful of with this one is that you don't become the hero of all your stories. Okay. You're like, look how wonderful I am. You know, um, you're always the one saving the day in your illustrations. Like you want to be careful of that one, um, as well. Um, so if you, if you use also, let's say this, if you tell a story and you tell a story about someone, if it's someone in your congregation, make sure you ask them first before you talk about them. Okay. I, Learned lessons, okay? I've done that before. You'd be like, yeah, you're right. I probably should have asked you if I could share that story. Um, so, yeah, but it is a good if you're teaching to people. And you're, it, it, that's great. It's a great thing to do, by the way, because people love being talked about. <laughs> okay, it's, it's just human nature. So if you do have an illustration, you know, uh, opening introduction, and you want to do it by telling someone else's story, sometimes you can have them tell the story. That's creative, too, or videotape it and show a little testimony video, or, um, or you just tell the story for them. Um, that's, that's super encouraging. That also shows that you, you, you're, you understand your audience and, um, and you, you hear them in that way. So, um, let's see another one, historical accounts, another means of securing attention for the sermon is to include in the intro an incident from history. So there's going to be world history, church history, American history, sports history. There's all kinds of history uh, that you can use as an opening kind of tool for that. Uh, declaration or startling statement. Um, you know, you can start a clock. You can start a, a sermon off by you know, you can say things like, "Apart from Christ, you will perish." Like, be like your opening statement. Like, as soon as you start off, be like, "Whoa, okay." You know, that's a again. You don't do it every Sunday. You're looking for the zinger at the right, the first words. What's the first? What's the first thing you're gonna say? I start off a sermon before by just immediately on the screen behind me started the death clock. You ever seen the death clock? It just kind of counts down. Like if you're, you know, if you're this, this old, this old, if you're going to die, average, you're going to die this time, here's how much time you have left to live, mm-hmm. right? And just kind of started it off because I want to talk about the vanity of life and how short it was. So the whole time I was teaching, there's a clock going on in the background. Like guys, this four or five minutes, we'll never get back again, right? Life is short, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, there's ways that you can do it that are startling, mm-hmm. but again, you don't do a death clock every Sunday, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, no, it's still going. Having a big ultra clock. <laughs> have it, have it fast forward down to two minutes. The guys, there's only two minutes left, guys. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, a provocative question can be a good way to start off a message. A thought-provoking question. 
Um, even a rapid fire kind of series of questions uh, can be helpful. Again, J.C. Rowell does a good job with this. Uh, I remember read a sermon by his on prayer, and his opening his opening statement was, "Do you pray? Do you pray?" And he said it again, "Do you really pray?" And it was like, "No, I don't." <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> I don't think the way you're talking about it, I don't think I do it, right? And that's, that's good, right? That's, you're, you're, you're asking questions, people going like, yeah, I don't think I can answer that right, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, you don't want to do that every Sunday. You know, people feel like all guilt right before you solve it. If you want to solve the guilt, that's good. People feel guilty to solve the guilt in Christ. But don't, again, do that every time. But it can be helpful by just starting off by asking questions. Because um, the question part, we go back to that again, because the question part is really good because it really draws people's in. Right? You're asking them a question. You know, you're not expecting probably a verbal response. Maybe if you're a smaller group like this, maybe you could get a little bit of response in that way. But you're, you're asking the question has people start to think, okay, I, you know, you're, they're trying to answer it in their head. That, that's pulling them in uh, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, creating a problem. Again, addressing or creating a crisis in the introduction can have an impact. Um, a controversy, addressing a problem common to the listeners can cause the congregation to listen attentively to the message to learn the solution to the proposed problem. Um, so, uh, again, something that the congregation would, uh, would agree that, yeah, this is a real problem. You know, let me tell you about you know, what's going on in this or that part of our world. And, like, yeah, that's a real problem. Like, they don't have any food or they don't have any water or they, whatever it may be. Your crime's on the rise. Yeah. So, um, you know, creating the problem and then so the sermon is a solution. Uh, number six, um, quotes. Again, these can be helpful. Um, these can be books that you have read. Uh, again, it's critical in this kind of situation, especially at the introduction, that the quote be short. You want to have like a you know ten sentence long quote at the very beginning because you, people are, you're going to lose them pretty fast, right? So uh, short ones. Um, you know, I've done before like Vince Vince Lombardi. You know, when he right before the season started, you know, got all of his players out. You know, they've been there for years, and he goes, gentlemen, this is a football, right? It's like, okay, and so the sermon we went to talk about, like, this is a Bible, right? This is, this is a Bible. Let's talk about the Bible for a minute. Let's, we've lost track of, we're going to play the game, that's great, but we got to know that we got to know what, what a football is, right? So, I mean, you can have quotes like that, little short ones that can be helpful, um, keep a collection of them. Uh, I've always, what I've done is I, I never read a book without highlighting. I just always have a highlighter with me. Um, or a dog ear pages kind of thing. And then I'll go back and I'll just, if I find things that are really intriguing, like, that's really good. Because I'm always thinking, in my mind, because I teach a lot, like, oh, this would be good for this or that. And I go enter it into a document, so I collect them. Um, just quotes and statements and things like that. So it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Do you collect them under, like, you're like, these are faith quotes? Yeah, this I do, is, I do. This I, a question I, that I have. Yeah, I have, I have. How do you get your quotes? Yeah. yeah, well, part of it is, is um, I just read a lot. So I just, I just come across them a lot in that way. Um, but sometimes a collection of them comes into, um, uh, yeah, I categorize them, you know, here's quotes on hope and quotes on, you know, faith or quotes on whatever. So I just kind of log them in in that way. Would C.S. Lewis be a good quote? Yeah, he's good. He's so good. <laughs> just wondering. Look forward to talking to that guy one day. I, he died before I became a Christian, so I had never got a chance to hear him. Um, just downloaded his whole book and now Guys, yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, which, by the way, yeah, his his book on a, the Great Divorce. We talked about this morning with idolatry. I didn't quote from that book, but that book is great for that subject. Like, it's really good. Uh, statistics again. 
can be very good. Don't overuse it, right? Don't make every introduction of, you know, a list of statistics. But uh, Barna Research Group usually does a good job with that kind of thing. Surveys uh, can be helpful, but using some stats, you know, I've done a sermon on, um, you know, to, to dads and talked about fathers and my opening opening kind of introduction was um, was all the, the fatherlessness in our in our world, you know, in our country. You know, like 85% of those who are incarcerated today, they're fatherless, right? They didn't have a dad. Like, and just kind of went through all the different, um, and that, you know, came from a book that I'd read on fatherlessness. I had all these quotes come from that book. Um, so, so, yeah, you can do that. It's helpful to have stats and put them in there. Again, not every time, but they can be helpful. A good way to, to kind of capture people's attention of like, wow. 85% of those in prison don't, didn't have a dad growing up. That's, that's kind of startling, right? That's, um, let's see, uh, biblical accounts. You can open up um, an introduction can be a story from, like, say, if you're in the New Testament, you can tell a story in the Old Testament kind of thing. Um, using Peter's encounter with Christ on the boat, I've used that um, in Isaiah 6, when I taught Isaiah 6, where Isaiah walks into the temple and woe is me, and he's there, and there's, you know, I opened up by talking about, so one day, Peter is on this boat, and he's with Jesus, and he just met him, you know, and I kind of went through telling the story like it was just happening, and then, you know, he called the, you know, caught the fish, and da-da-da, and the boat began to sink, sink, and Peter looked at Jesus and said, depart from me, you know, uh, I'm a wicked man. You know, Isaiah had a similar experience to that. He met God like he met Jesus, like Peter met Jesus that day, and then we got into Isaiah 6, right? So, so you can do that either Old, Old or New Testament, you can use the story there to illustrate and kind of bring people's, you're telling a story that's in the Bible, but you're kind of, I would encourage you to put it in your own words kind of thing. Um, tell it in a way that it's like it just happened yesterday, um, or it's happening right now and they're seeing it. Again, you want to help them see it and not just hear that. Especially if you're dealing with an audience that's very familiar with the Bible, if you, if you tell the story of, of that story of the Bible in your own words, it has a way for them to see it a little differently. Because sometimes you can go in and be like, there's a story of Jonah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know the story of Jonah, swallowed by a fish, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I mean, they're probably not saying that, hopefully. <laughs> but but they're like, yeah, I know this story. And they automatically almost start to turn you off because they're like, yeah, I know that story. Well, if you start telling it in a way that's unique or a way that's that's um, that maybe how you see it and uh, you're using you know, good words and things like that, well, they start, like, listening, going like, oh, I never thought about it that way or never thought about it that Oh, yeah, that kind of, I can see that. And they start almost repainting the picture in their head a little bit of, like, some more details. Um, you'd comment about the water and the smell of the fish or something like that. You kind of start going like, okay, it's a much more uh, detailed. I'm a parable. Uh, don't be afraid to write your own parables in that way. You can tell yourself, tell a story in that way. Um, in an introduction to First Timothy 3 on the inspiration of scripture. And I started off by telling the parable of, it was more of a, it was a personal interest story, but it also was kind of a parable. I talked about, you know, as a kid, we would go down to the creek and, we carve our sticks, and we'd all have our sticks at the top of the creek, and we'd drop our sticks in, and it'd be a stick race, you know, we'd follow it. And I explained what it looked like to have a stick go over the mossy rock and down through the foam, and I'm kind of telling the story of the stick race, you know. And I said, that's, that's kind of like how God moved along the, the writers of Scripture, right? They were moved along by the Holy Spirit. They were, the, the stream took them along, the Spirit took them along so that they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. Let's talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so I captured, captured their attention a little bit of a story, a little bit of a parable, you know, comparing the stick to um, to the to the writers of scripture. Um, poetry, uh, using someone else's uh, poetry uh, as with a song or even writing your own, um, is uh, is a powerful means of capturing your audience. 
Um, many in your audience uh, consume a great amount, especially the younger audiences, consume a great amount of music and film and movies and that kind of material. They've consumed a lot of it. So if you, in some ways, if you start quoting from or talking about art, especially in music and film, it almost has a way of going like people there going, okay, I want to hear this. He, he saw that or he heard that or, oh, I, he knows my life a little bit here, right? So again, using those kind of things helps people. If you do use those things, make sure you say them and tell them in such a way that people who don't know them can at least understand where you're going, right? Uh, you just want to jump into a movie and be like, yes, there was a scene. Like this morning I talked about, I mean, I kind of made fun of it, but I talked about Gollum in the ring. I was like, well, you know, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're really lost right now. Because <laughs> I'm like, yes, but I don't have time to go back and tell the whole story of Lord of the Rings. So, um, but I should have. I mean, yeah, it's but you did a good, good lesson. Because I haven't seen it. Okay. But I got it. Right. He captured the thing he always right. wanted and he perished, you know. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? The very last scene, he falls into the crack of doom. Lava falls in. He's smiling. Yeah, it's pretty, very graphic. It's really cool. Um, but he finally got what he wanted and he perished with it. So. Uh, so yeah, but poetry uh, can be a good way of doing that um, um, and helping them understand that. One thing I would say about that, and I learned this in, in L.A., because um, <laughs> I, I talked, I probably in every sermon had a movie illustration somewhere in it, just because everyone in my audience was like, well, at least when I did the church plant, when I merged, like Mark, when you came out, that congregation, they didn't know anything about movies. But that was a different group, right? But the earlier group I had when I was planting churches out there was... Um, they were all, they, they were like worked in the movies, they were like, you know, grips, or they were producers, or writers, or directors, or actors and actresses, or, ph you know, photographers. I mean, they were, they were all in that world, so I'm like, all right, and I had to be familiar with, like, we're, Eddie and I were laughing the other day, because he was telling me about some movie, I'm like, dude, I haven't seen a movie in, like, months. I don't know, I've seen maybe two this year, like, but I was in L.A., I saw, like, four or five every week, because... I was always going like, hey, I'm in, I did this film, or I was in this film, like, come watch it. I'm like, okay, I'm watching everything that comes out. So I'm using that, because that's my audience, right? So I learned, other thing, don't do spoilers when you talk about movies, all right? Yeah, I made some people upset one time. I was talking about, uh, there was a, it was a movie back, it was about Will, it was Will Smith was in it. It was called like Eight Pounds. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Eight Pounds? It's the weight of a heart. Well, I gave it away right there. If you've never seen the movie, because <laughs> it's like it's the whole the whole point, right? And that start, but it was really a great illustration of what Christ did for us. He gave His life for us, right? So I'm telling this whole story, and I'm like, and people are like, I haven't seen it yet. Like, that's literally the, like at the ending. Yes, it's the ending. Like it's the whole thing at the end. I'm like, okay, so if you do talk about a movie, don't spoil it for yeah. them, okay? Um, that can be really make people really upset. Object lesson. Uh, this can be, again, a physical object, a video, a picture. Um, one time, um, I didn't use it as an introduction, I used it as an illustration in the sermon, but you could do this kind of thing. I was, I was in the Gospel of John here, and it was going through John 10, where Jesus says, um, you know, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Mm -hmm. you, know, I, you know, my Father is greater than all, no one can snatch him out of my hand. And so I was trying to give an illustration of, like, you're in his hand, and no one's going to let you go. And so I brought up, like, Calvin, my, my, at the time, I guess he was about seven or eight, I brought him up on the stage, and I brought Eric, Ham Eric Hampton. If you ever met Eric Hampton, his own self-statement about his fingers, where he says that they're just large sausages, okay, his fingers. And so he has got huge hands. And so I bring Calvin up there, and I just kind of bring, I say, this is what it's like, you know, and this is like God's hand, this is your hand, and kind of put it in, it just, you know, he completely engulfs Calvin's hand. Like, it's gone. Like, half his wrist is in, is in Eric's, like, hand, you know? And so I'm just trying to show, like, this is, this is how, this is what it's like. He's got you. He's not letting you go, right? 
so that's a, a way you can illustrate. Sometimes you can bring people up, use, use that kind of thing too. These are all just different ways that you can, um, can open up, uh, do an introduction in that way. All right? Look at that. I made it right on time. That is fantastic. Manuscript. Manuscript. Yeah, it's because you manuscript. Manuscript. Well, this one's, I, yeah, I get off on this a lot. So um, anyway. All right, any final questions with that? We'll talk a little bit more about introductions next week. So we have a little bit more to talk about with that one. Okay? Very good. All right, let me pray for us. God, thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, just presenting your word and, um, and uh, how we can do it in such a way that uh, people will uh, want to see it. God, we want to, again, take the pearl, put it in the case, um, put it, put it, show your grace on that back, uh, black velvet backdrop in a way that it just sparkles and shines and is captivating and interesting to people. Uh, God, we don't want to ever bore people. It's, we don't want to bore people with your word because it's not boring. Uh, we want to be engaging. We want to bring people along. We want them to know you, uh, know about you, and then also be able to communicate it to others too. So God, it's a lot of work to be a teacher, and I just pray you would help us all uh, in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.